Thank you so much, John and Tyler and worship team. What a great reminder. Jesus is our living hope. We have no other hope apart from him. And that's the message we've been looking at in the book of Galatians. You remember that Galatians was one of the 13 uh, New Testament letters that Paul wrote. There are six chapters in Galatians, and all through the book you see Paul had one objective in mind, and that is to remind us that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Good works, uh, religious ceremonies, rituals, none of those things have any part in our salvation, not, not even a, a supportive role, none of those things. And so Paul through Galatians, with, with some very clear theological teaching, with some very simple but, but eye-opening illustrations, Paul is speaking about justification by faith alone. He's speaking as an apostle. It's not a new gospel message. It's a message he received directly from the Lord. Now, remember last week in chapter 3, we saw that the promises of God are irrevocable. God never breaks a promise. God's covenants can't be changed. They can't be annulled. And his covenant his promise to us through Abraham is that our justification comes when we place our faith in Christ, when we place our faith in the work that he has done for us on the cross. And we need that because we can't make ourselves right. The law can't make us right. The purpose of the law was to show our need for Christ. It wasn't another way to be saved. Uh, we can't be saved on our own merit. We need an intercessor, a, a mediator. We need a savior. And that's the message that, that Paul was giving to us. And you know, for us as, as Christ followers, as believers, as, as people who've been justified by faith, that's the distinction of our faith. We don't trust in ourselves. Listen, all other religions, even some who purport to be Christian, all other religions who don't follow the biblical admonition of justification by faith, they all require some form of human activity, e either works or um, morality, or keeping certain guidelines. All other religions believe that the only way to avoid um, divine punishment and judgment is to do things. So that's distinctive about us. Uh, we don't believe that. And you know, the whole idea that man uh, could somehow achieve his own salvation, that's a lie that was initiated by Satan from, from the very, very beginning. And you know, God put it in us as humans that we can recognize our sin. God put it in us as humans that not only can we recognize our sin, but we can realize that something has to be done. We can realize that we've, we've fallen short, and so we have to do something to cover our sin. And like Adam and Eve, what do we do? We think we can cover ourselves um, where God cannot see and, and we can escape his judgment. But we know nothing is hidden from God. We know our sin is not hidden from God. And, you know, when you think about it, even if we come to the point of understanding we've sinned against God, even if we come to the point of understanding that we haven't kept the law, and even if we decide from that point forward that we're gonna keep the law perfectly, it still wouldn't do us any good because of all the sin that we've already committed. We can't possibly make ourselves right with Christ. In fact, we're hopeless apart from Christ. But when I think about our hopelessness apart from Christ, I think about Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9:15 when he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And we ought to be thankful to God for that gift, knowing that we had no hope in and of ourselves. Well, the Galatians, as well as us today, we need to know the true gospel. Not only for our own salvation, but we need to be proclaiming the truth of saving faith. Well, our study of Galatians, we get to chapter four today, and let's look together, I hope you have your Bible out, let's look together at chapter four, 
verses 1 through 20. Paul writes this, The heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you and now change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Well, in chapter 4, Paul begins with our condition prior to faith in Christ. And he reminds us we were slaves to the law. We knew we weren't right with God, and so we were trying to overcome our sin by good works and, and good morals. But honestly, the more we try, the more obvious the futility becomes. We can't keep the law. The law was brought to us to make us desperate. The law was given to us to show the reality of our judgment, to drive us to Christ and recognizing we can only be justified by our faith in Him. You know, the past five weeks as we've been in Galatians, if, if we've covered it once, we've covered it dozens of times, that justification is by faith in Christ alone. And that's our message to the world. That's the message that everyone needs to have the opportunity to hear. You know, if you think about it, there are several words we use to explain the doctrine of salvation. We use the word regeneration and the word conversion and the word justification, the word sanctification. But here in chapter 4, Paul introduces a new word and a new picture to the Galatians here in verses 4 through 7. He writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons as heirs of God. See, Paul says it was just the right time or the fullness of time. God's timing is perfect. And I want to pause here and say this to you. You need to hold on to that truth. 
It's still true today. Whatever you may be struggling with, wherever you may be looking for God to move in your behalf, you could get to the point of saying, well, I don't see anything happening and get discouraged and get doubtful. But God's timing is always perfect. At the right time, he's going to step in and take care of what you need. But Paul says here it was in the, the fullness of time. What did he mean by that? Well, the law had been around for hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. And people had been burdened by the law. People had, had lived under the law, and, and that bondage under the law was long, and it, and it was hard. So the fullness of time means that God knew when men would be ready to receive the gospel. And that at that point, that's when God sent Christ. You see, those who knew and loved God but were living under the law knew that God had promised a Redeemer, a Messiah, knew that God had promised that there would be one who would be the final sacrifice and would forgive and cleanse them from all sin. And the law had prepared them for that. They were ready for it. Now, you know, I want to I say to you today, when you think about God sending Christ in just the right time, I want you to know that, that your neighbor, your friend, your family member, your coworker who doesn't know Christ God is going to send the message at just the right time. And I say that to say this to you. If God is, is convicting you about speaking to that person, about sharing the truth and sharing the gospel with that person, you can know that when you go to speak truth to them, God has been working in their heart. God is preparing the soil of their heart to receive the truth. And, and whether you see them respond immediately to that truth or not, doesn't matter. You, you never fail when you speak forth the word of truth. And if God is calling you to speak, then you can know that he's working in their heart as well. And the seed that you plant or the water that you pour on that seed is going to bear fruit and going to bear a harvest. So Paul says it was in the fullness of time. What does that mean? Perfect time, the exact time. And not only was that true from a spiritual perspective that men were ready to receive the gospel, but it was true even from a human perspective. What was happening at the time that God sent Christ? Well, first of all, Alexander the Great had made it pretty much a, a Greek world and a Greek culture. And so the language that almost everyone spoke at this time was Greek. Well, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so everyone who was able to read because they spoke Greek would be able to read the words in the New Testament. Not only that, at the time that Jesus came, the Roman Empire was flourishing. And the Roman Empire, with, with the strength of power and the financial me means that the empire had, Rome built roads literally all over the known world. And if you look in the book of Acts, you see that the gospel advanced rapidly because they were able to travel over this infrastructure that Rome had, had put in place. And so it was a perfect time from a spiritual perspective as well as a human perspective. And Paul says, at just the right time, God sent his son. Now, let me pause here and mention this to make sure we're very clear about Jesus and his authority as God being part of the Trinity. When the scripture says God sent his son, that doesn't mean at that time, at the fullness of time, God created his son. Jesus was not created. Jesus was God. That's part of the reason he was able to save us from our sin, because he was God, because he was a perfect man who could be the sacrifice for our sin. At the fullness of time, God sent his son. John and John 1, verses 1 and 14 says, In the beginning was the Word. That's referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation of Jesus, him coming to live among us. 
and it says that when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld His glory, glory as, as the only begotten of God. He was God. And at just the right time, in the fullness, fullness of time, God sent Jesus. Why? Because we couldn't make payment for our sin. We were under judgment. We were condemned to die. And so God sent Jesus because Jesus was the only one who had the power to conquer sin and death. Only Jesus could be the, the perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus could be our substitute because he lived a perfect sinless life. You notice in verse 5 it says that God sent him to redeem us. Well, the word redeem means to, to buy. Jesus redeemed us by buying us out of slavery to sin. But you'll notice in verse 5, not only did he buy us out of slavery, he also made it possible for us to be adopted as sons of God. That's an amazing thing to think about. You know, there are times in my life when I'm kind of kind of um, downtrodden or not feeling really worthwhile. There are times in my life where my spiritual walk is not where it needs to be, and I might have these thoughts of what, what would God want to do with me? And in those times when I think about what Paul has written here, I, I think Paul added this dimension. God had Paul to add this dimension to the message uh, for, for us to understand this about our salvation. It includes our adoption as sons of God. Now think about the word adoption. It means you were chosen. You know, if you have children, many of you have children, and they're your natural children, your biological children, but many of you have also adopted. You have not just had children born into your family, but you have chosen children. And there's something special about being chosen. And that's a, an amazing and encouraging and affirming thought that God chose us. God chose you. He adopted you as, as his son. I love what David wrote in the 139th Psalm, verses 17 and 18, where he, speaking about God, says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Here, here's what I want you to picture. God adopted you into his family, and he's got this incredible love for you that is a chosen love. You know, I, I, I think about God maybe having a, a photo album, and he's continually looking through that photo album and looking at pictures of you and, and looking at me. My wife, Luann, often laughs at me. There are a lot of evenings that when I'm sitting at home, I'll have my phone out and just be flipping through pictures of my grandchildren. And she'll laugh and say, how do you do that all the time? Doesn't that depress you because we're not with them? And I'm like, no, man, I just, I just enjoy looking at them, enjoy their pictures. And that's the kind of picture I want us to see uh, of, of the love of God. It's, it's staggering. His love is staggering. And then add to that staggering love that he has adopted us, add to that his generosity. Paul also tells us here in Galatians that because we're adopted as sons, that we're also heirs. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance with Christ, our brother. Everything that God has is available to us. Did you know in Revelation 3.21, it even says that in eternity, in glory, we will sit on the throne with Christ. So God has adopted us out of great love, and he's been incredibly, incredibly generous to us. Well, down in verses 8 through 11, having explained all that, God is asking the Galatians again, why would you turn back? Why would you, understanding all that God has done for you, why would you go back to a religion that's worthless? Why would you go back to a law that enslaves? And, and all through Galatians up to this point, we've seen that Paul is angry. 
Do you remember when we started Galatians week one in chapter one, we said one distinctive of this letter compared to the other 12 that Paul wrote is in the beginning of Galatians, in the opening, there's no warm personal word. There's no commendation to them. He, he launches right in. And the tone throughout Galatians is of a, a father disciplining his, his children. It's, a, it's of, a, of a, a lawyer, an astute lawyer, building his case and leaving absolutely no wiggle room for your defense. And so, so we see that Paul, in addressing Galatians, there's been no display, no, no warmth or affection to speak of. There's been anger, but it's a righteous anger. Paul is, Paul is upset. He's angry that teachers, false teachers, have come in and attacked and caused Paul's spiritual children to doubt the truth. And he's angry at the Galatians. How could they doubt the sincerity of his love for them? How could he, they think that he would lead them astray? Well, now the tone changes here in verse 12. You don't sense anger in Paul anymore, not that the situation's been completely resolved. What you sense in chapter 12 is a heartbroken pastor. Paul is heartbroken over their departure from the truth. And, and you see in verse 12, he addresses them, he, he calls them brothers. He says, brothers, we've, we've had this incredible warm history together. Verses 13 through 15, he kind of describes the history. How did Paul happen to come to Galatia? That really wasn't on his intended missionary journey, but Paul had become ill. Uh, we don't know what the illness was. He, He'd been in the lowlands. It may have been that he contracted something like malaria, and so he went up into Galatia um, to get out of the lowlands. We, we don't know exactly what the illness was, but he says here, look, I, I was ill when I came to you, and yet you received me warmly. Now, typically, if someone who claimed to be a prophet, especially a prophet of God, and they had a physical illness, they would be discredited. People would say, not just the Jewish culture, but even the, the Grecian, even the Roman culture would say, well, this man can't be a prophet of God because he's, he's got this illness. That's judgment. But Paul says, look, when I came to you Galatians, even though I was ill, you didn't scorn me. You didn't despise me. You didn't discredit me as a prophet of God. You received me as an angel from God. You received me. You received the message that I had come to share with you. You were gracious to me. In fact, Paul says, evidently whatever malady he had affected his his eyes in some way, Paul says, you would even have gouged out your own eyes to give to me. He says, you were that gracious to me? In verse 16, he says, look, it, it breaks my heart that after having this kind of relationship, you now see me as an enemy simply because I've told you the truth. And I will tell you, many pastors experience that kind of heartbreak. Many godly pastors who preach the truth of the word the truth of God's word is not always well received, even by people in the church. The truth of God's word can be divisive, even for people in the church. It can be offensive, even for people in the church. And Paul is explaining here, describing here what many pastors experience. Sometimes when we preach the truth of the word, it's not well received. But you know, I always go back to what Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 10, Who am I trying to please, men or God? For Paul, it was more important to please God, even though he didn't want to suffer the heartbreak of these men who'd once been friends. Well, down in verses 17 and 18, he reminds them, look, these false teachers who are paying a lot of attention to you, they have a selfish interest. It's not really about you. It's about how they can benefit from you. And then in verse 19, Paul probably strikes the warmest, gentlest note 
of the letter when he calls them my little children. It's almost like Paul has shifted from a, a father role to a mother role. The, these are the words that, that a mother would use. In fact, he not only says my little children, look, he also says, I am in the anguish of childbirth. What's he in anguish about? What's he, what's he heartbroken over? Why is Paul willing even to continue working with them and trying to minister to them? It's because of what he says here in verse 19. He wants to see Christ formed in them. They had responded to the gospel message, and now Paul is worried they're going to wander off into false doctrine, but the purpose of God, once they've received the message of the gospel, is that they would be sanctified, that they would be fully formed in Christ. I thought about Paul's desire for them, and it reminded me of the desire that John wrote about in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And this is a desire that every pastor should have for his people. John writes these words in 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him. You, you came to him. You understood that you're saved by faith alone. You've got to go on in that. You've got to abide in him. Why? Why? So that when he appears, when Jesus returns for us, for his followers, for the church, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming. That's Paul's desire for them. That's every pastor's desire for his people, that when Jesus comes, that they're ready. They have become more and more like Christ. They've been sanctified. They have, have gone on with Christ. And that's what the message of Galatians 4 is about, that we are justified by faith. And not only are we justified by faith in Christ alone, but we're adopted as the very sons of God. And as the sons of God, just like any son, as the sons of God, as we grow, we should more and more resemble our Father. And that's my prayer for our body of Christ we call Geyer Springs Baptist Church. That's my prayer for you, is that if you have come to faith, to justification, and understood that it's by faith alone in Christ, you understand that's just the beginning. Following that is our sanctification. God's plan and God's purpose for you and me as followers of Christ is that we'd be sanctified. We'd become more and more like Christ so that when he comes, we are ready at his coming.